In today's episode, Kevin sings a tune. Dun, 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 dun. Charlie exhibits self-deprecation. I'm awful. Kevin gets a Christmas present. Wow, I love the flugel. And Charlie reveals his ultimate fantasy. I would love to be a bird. I'm Matthew Frost, and welcome to Fully Scored. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by superstar singer and performer Charlie Green. Charlie talks about his time on Britain's Got Talent, his career now as a professional artist, and also his love for Salvation Army music making. Later in the episode, we get a little bit festive, as Kevin Larson talks about his composition, A Christmas Overture. As usual, we'll be setting sail to Arid Island and having a stopover on the way in the Bandmastermind hot seat. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on Fully Scored. It's great to have you here, and uh, thank you for letting us record at your home core of Droitwich, here in Droitwich, funnily enough. <laughs> How are you keeping? I'm doing really well, thanks, Matthew. Yeah, it's great to be here. I, you know, I love the podcast, so I feel honoured to be a part of this, you know, as a singer as well. I feel a little bit of a fraud. Well, so. you are, but we'll, we'll get down to why we've asked you still. <laughs> no, it really is great to have you. And actually, you know, you are our first pop star that we've ever had on the podcast, unless any of our other guests have secret sidelines as international superstars, uh, which sets me up nicely for my first question. Out of all the guests that we've had on Fully Scored so far, who do you think is most likely to be an undercover pop sensation? Well, not undercover, but I consider Derek Kane as a as a pop sensation, to be honest. Yeah. Nice. He's a bit of a rock star, isn't he? Yeah. And do you think you'd need a new stage name, or do you think Derek Kane works? I think I think Derek Kane works. Does it? Yeah, and you could you know, you could even walk on with a cane, that could be his little yeah, thing. And uh, but he is a bit of a pop star. I, I mean any gig I go to he's there, I, you know, people people go up to him. He, you know, he has the he has the bow. Yeah. He has the stage presence. There we go. Yeah, I think Derek's got it. Fantastic. Well, yeah. you've heard it here first. There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, I usually start off interviews talking about the background of guests and everything, but, you know, that's become a bit formulaic. So in the interest of keeping things fresh, I thought it would be nice to start with some current topics and work backwards with your interview, if that's all right, and I'm not going to offend you. So I believe that recently you've just got back from a tour of Guam and the Philippines. Can you explain to listeners why you were there and what that was like? Well, I guess like any gig, um, I just got asked to do it. So they they called me up and they said, can you come to Guam? Uh, There's a concert for the governor of Guam. Okay. You know, would you like to come and play with a band? And I was like, yes, when is it? And the the date kept moving like, you know, any gig. It's like, when's the gig going to come in? It was supposed to be in July and then it ended up being at the end of September. But what happened was Joe Biden had called this governor to to go to Washington, so she couldn't even make this gig. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just did, you know, two sets of ninety minutes uh, for you know five hundred uh, people of the uh, parliament or whatever is over there, guests. It was amazing, to be honest. But I was just I was just asked to do it, um, which is incredible. Guam is a territory of America, but it has a lot of Filipino people in there. Right. Um, and because of my Filipino background, mm. I guess few people knew that I'd worked over in the Philippines and knew of me. So they recommended me for the gig. Oh, amazing. And then because Guam is so close to the Philippines, 
um, my agent over in the Philippines said, why don't you come over here and, you know, do a bit of promotion, do a couple of gigs, and then we'll see if we can, you know, get you back out in 2023. But, you know, come now and we'll sort it out. So I went straight from Guam. It took two days to get there. Right. I was ill on the way. Oh, no. So I was really <laughs> ill on the plane. Managed to get through the gig, flew to the Philippines, did three days of promotion, meetings, uh, with endorsement companies and everything like that and did a gig at a casino a salvationist really? at the yeah, casino yeah. and uh, <laughs> did the gig and flew straight home and then oh. got ill again as I got oh, back no. this is the life of you know of a oh kid. dear and what's Guam like you know as a country I guess not many of our listeners or anybody really has been there yeah most people don't even know you know I've never even heard of it. Uh, it's it's tropical. It's a little bit like the Philippines. It's very hot. There's a lot of rain, um, but the people are just lovely. They you know really nice people. It's a military base as well for the US. So a lot of um, air force, military, and and the navy as well. There's a lot of military people there, yeah. and a lot of golf courses, which is nice. Nice. So you're a king golfer. I'm then? just king. I'm a king golfer. I'm not very, not great, but I'm a king golfer. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's, that's really yeah. cool. I'm glad you're feeling better now. I'm feeling better now. <laughs> so, how long have you been working as a professional singer? Well, I started at, at 10 years old, really, after I did Britain's Got Talent. Um, and it, So, it wasn't really by choice. I, I did the show, and then, literally, the next day, we got emails and calls about going to different countries. And, and then, the, the first trip I did was the Philippines which was a three-week tour. I did over 20 television shows. I did um, a TV, I did TV, I did recordings, I did um, uh, live shows. It was just a whirlwind three weeks. And from then, I guess I considered myself professional because I, in fact, I had to leave school in the end because I was so busy. Um, so I did school at home. I took, I took school online with me, did it in hotel rooms, had online tutors from, I think, 11 or 12. So it, I did have a different sort of childhood, for sure. Um, but from then, yeah, I guess I've been professional uh, up until now. And uh, was that a life that you wanted to have, or was it where you sort of thrown into it without even necessarily thinking, I want to have a career in music? I guess I was thrown into it, but I, I, that makes it sound a little bit like my parents were negligent or whatever, but they, they weren't. I wanted to do it. Yeah. But I guess the kind of, and it sounds silly, but the little bit of, I guess, fame that I had from the show wasn't what, I wasn't really into that, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, it's nice to have enough uh, sort of, I guess, fame to be able to do the work you want to do, mm. you know. But it was getting weird, you know, people were like, straight after the show, people were um, hanging outside my house, uh, stopping me for pictures when I went shopping like all the time wow. it was really weird for about six months it was crazy so I experienced a little bit of what it of what it's like to kind of be well known and it's not all it's cracked up to be because you know you have the days where you don't really want to do it so that part of being a professional musician is is sometimes the the hardest bit if you have to experience that on a you know full-time basis but yeah I always wanted to do music right from two or three years old I think I, I told my dad that I was going to be a singer and because he was a professional singer um, and I used to copy him I had a he played the trumpet so I used to have a little plastic trumpet I'd have a plastic um, microphone and I'd stand in front of the TV and watch videos of him singing on the cruise ships so that was that's what I wanted to do 
Fantastic. And yeah. It's interesting you mentioned a bit of that because I know exactly what you're on about from I this know, podcast. I know it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So let's should we talk a bit about Britain's Got Talent? So first of all, for international listeners, I know it's now become quite an international thing, but for those that maybe don't know what it is, are you able to explain the, the format and what, what it is? For sure. So uh, Britain's Got Talent is, uh, is a TV talent show that uh, was, I believe, sort of... Um, started up by Simon Cowell and some of his TV mates. Um, and it's a big platform. Uh, well, I did season two, which was, um, it was pretty, really, I mean, it's still big now, but it, it felt like everybody seemed to watch it. There were at least 10 to 15 million viewers a night. So it was great exposure. But basically what happens is the winner gets to perform at the Raw Variety Show, which is, you know, a really prestigious event, and earn some money as well. And I'm um, glad to say... I didn't win. No, no, so. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing to get through to the semi-final out of the thousands and thousands of people that would have done that. What was it like, you know, being on that show at a young age? How old would you have been? I was 10. You were 10? Literally 10 years old, yeah. Blimey. And uh, we auditioned at the Birmingham Hippodrome and I queued outside from 8 o'clock in the morning to 10pm to get this audition. And I was sick. I was actually sick. There's a, oh. I won't mention the name of the shop, but there, back then, I don't know whether it's still there, but there was a sandwich shop to the side of the Padrone. And I lay on their tables for two hours because I was so sick. Oh. I felt ill, really ill. And, um, and I almost didn't do it. And my dad said, you know, look, you, you don't need to do this. It's fine. And something in that said, no, I, I, I needed to go and do it. So I... I I went and, and auditioned to change my song because I was going to sing something else yeah. and changed it to Frank Sinatra's Summer Wind, which is a, a, one of his sort of classic songs. And that turned out to be the song which Simon Cowell said is my favourite song. He said, oh, that's my favourite song when I said I was going to sing Summer Wind. So it, it worked out like it was meant to be, nice. really. No pressure. Did he say that before or after? He said it before. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, which is yeah. worrying. Blimey. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, this is swiftly turning into a medical podcast as well with all your illnesses. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you about any of the other ones. No, no, no. So, obviously, since doing that show, you must have done some insane gigs. I mean, just talking about the one in Guam, that is pretty incredible. But what are some of the more surreal gigs you've had the chance to do? Surreal. Okay. Well, I guess when I was in the Philippines, I got invited to sing for the president. That was surreal. Nice. To be honest, I didn't know who she was. <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that I was at, um, you know, the, 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 the palace there, singing for the president, singing a Filipino song. And then I met, uh, for those of you who are into boxing, I met Manny Pacquiao. I spent an hour with him, sang for him. He's a world-famous boxer. Um, that was surreal because I was a big fan of his, so that was amazing. But, I mean, many stuff. I think my first trip to America and singing at the Andy Williams Moon River Theatre was surreal for me because I was such a big fan of Andy Williams growing up that um, that I, I cried when I got there with my dad because that I felt like, not that I'd made it, but that my dreams had come true, really being there. Uh, so that's a moment I'll never forget with my dad, that it was just incredible. His music plays outside the theatre 24-7. Really? It's the, if you ever go, it's, it's just, 
most quirky place. It's Branson, Missouri. It's right in the middle of nowhere. Um, but this theatre is a multi-million dollar theatre and, and they've got the Moon River um, all around the theatre and it's, it's lit up so beautifully and they have these speakers playing his music and we just stood outside and just, like I said, took it in and just you know shed a tear, just the fact that I was there because I loved Andy so much. I think that was a surreal moment for me. I'm glad you shed a tear rather than violently sick again. <laughs> that one was sick after. Oh, no. <laughs> and who are some of the people that you've had the privilege of touring with as well? I guess the big one was the Osmonds um, from 2015. So I got a call from Jimmy Osmond's sort of agent guy saying, you know, can you come and, and do this show with... And that's how I, I did the Andy Williams show. Jimmy was producing the Andy Williams tribute show over in, in Branson, Missouri called Moon River and Me. So I, I started working with Jimmy on that and, and from that show, I guess it went well. He, he invited me to be a part of his uh, label and management and so he managed me for four and a half years. So I toured with the Osmonds and, um, you know, worked with the whole family, you know, Donnie and Marie and it was amazing. So that was, that was surreal work with some great musicians and a lot of them you know it's like the band world that nobody nobody knows but they're brilliant you know mm. and there's so many great musicians great great guys um so i'm very very blessed to have had the opportunity to work with some some real top top musicians excellent now you mentioned your parents influence as well on you with your, your philippine heritage and also your dad being a singer do you want to unpack that a little bit more and how much you know, influence have your parents had on your career that you have now? Massive. Yeah, massive. My mum and dad, I mean, for, for two different reasons. I've been blessed so much. They've been supportive. Um, my dad was more, I guess, in the forefront of my musical upbringing. My dad was a really good singer, good musician, and exposed me to a lot of music. Um, right from jazz to classical music. We'd have, you know, these LPs that he'd play. It's like really something out of the 1950s, you know. <laughs> and he'd play Sinatra and, and jazz, but Ella Fitzgerald and people like that. So I grew up on, to me, what I you now consider really good music, well-written melodies, great chord progressions, beautiful lyrics. So I grew up on that. And my mum also liked the old music, so I kind of was brought up a little bit old school. But my dad being a singer, I sort of followed what he did a little bit. And then as I got older and started to sing, he would encourage me and, and what to do, I guess, and what not to do. And um, even now, he doesn't give me lessons anymore, but I, some, I you know, still listen to him. He might say something which really, you know, I need to hear. And my mum, just because she's been so supportive, you know, she every time after every gig, she'd be she'd be there. She'd make sure I needed what I needed, and you know, always supportive. She, to be fair, she actually tells me if she doesn't like it. No, nice. really, really, <laughs> brutally I'm honest, brutally honest. And she's like, you know, Charlie, I'm not I'm not musician. So if I tell you I don't like normal people, you know, she always says that. Normal people, I, I like the music of normal people. And <laughs> she said, that's too much, you know, she would say. She gives me the advice as well from, from her angle. So, yeah, amazing, amazing support, my parents. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm really pleased to hear that. Another question, this is quite a deep one, perhaps. How much of a challenge in the professional music um, industry is it to maintain your faith in that sort of environment? Um... Good question. I don't think that it's any harder for me because I'm in my industry. I think whatever situation you're in, you, it comes down to... 
I think one, self-discipline is the big one. And then also having people around you that can sort of speak good stuff into your life. Um, it can be a challenge from my with the music for me because it's it's very do what you want nature you know and the industry is it's quite fickle it's it's dog eats dog it sounds like any like real or even that kind of business you know you 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 do what you need to do to to be at the top and people will walk over you and and it's it can be difficult to not follow that trend you know because you think oh maybe I need to do that to get work or I need to do that to keep what I've got and to not lose any little bit of credibility or I have so I need to do this to to get this job so staying true to you know what I believe my morals uh, now easier as I'm getting a bit older I find when I was about 16 17 that was more of a struggle because I was still really trying to find out who I was and what I believed and experimenting and doing all these different things and now I'm pretty I, I know what I believe my faith's really important to me there are times when I can't get to the army you know so I have to really rely on actually reading my bible at home you know and it's funny on tour I read my bible a lot more than I do at home and sometimes I think why but um, when I was on my own um, just doing my own thing on tour I guess at times I was quite lonely that I, I did rely on my faith so it, in fact, it made me stronger because it was a different situation. So, but I think in the long run, yeah, um, self-discipline is massive. You've got to make time and uh, take time to, to, to pray and to read our Bibles. Or else we will, you know, we will fade away. God will stay with you, but we will fade away. So uh, it's, that's really important to me. Thank you for that, Charlie. Now, as you've said, you know, you are a busy man in demand all around the world. But you're still very active here at your core in Drawridge Spa, where we are today. What is it that keeps you interested in doing Salvation Army and, and specifically within Salvation Army music? Good question. I think being a leader, as I am now in certain aspects, that to me has added uh, more of a sense of I really want to be here because I want to see the development of the youth as well and and uh and i i love it i i deputize with the songsters and uh i love going to yp band and i love and i do summer schools and stuff like that so i love to see that development and i feel almost when you create relationships with people and young people that you need to see that through so i guess a sense of duty not in a bad way just that i feel like i've signed up to this so i want to you know be here but secondly i just really enjoy it and for myself, I, I love I do love making music in the army. I find it actually, I, I love playing my cornet. I find it therapeutic playing my cornet. I, I play it at home and I've got spare time, you know. So I just I just really enjoy it. And thirdly, the most importantly, that it is worship for me. You know, when I play and sing, it it's it's me giving my talents back to God. So I I really. I just enjoy it really that's it's a, it's a simple answer really but I, I enjoy coming and, I, and I, I miss it when I'm away now let's not beat around the bush you are a massive bando aren't you yes and uh, you play the calling I do as well I, I have and, a go and the flugelhorn very and nicely in fact we've played many things together in the youth band here in the West Midlands for many years 
What is it about Savage and Army brass bands that makes you tick? I think it's the message. That's the big thing for me. I mean, I've played in a few contesting bands and love it. And, you know, I would love to play for a Corey or a Black... You know, I, I really would love to do that, though I'm nowhere near good enough. Um, but the message is what makes it, for me, it's the meaning behind the music. So why do we do it, you know? And I, and I think it, that's what gets me up and, and playing in the Salvation Army Band. Um, I love that it, it's a part of worship, it aids worship, it is worship, and, you know... Um, I love that Sunday mornings are like the ones I really like, you know, playing the hymn tune arrangements or it's just great. So it's Salvation Army banding is like where my heart's at for sure. I, I love it. And I love the big works to be honest as well. I am a bit of a bando, so I love stuff. I love all the Ray Stemmel Allen big works and, and probably listen to something of that ilk once a day. Let's talk about banding highlights. Yeah. I know that you've been on staff recently at Territory Youth Band. Yeah. Been part of um, TYB before that. You've done Territory Music Schools. Yeah. Can you think of any banding highlights? Yes, a banding highlight was playing Flugel in the Holy War by Ray Stedman Allen at TYB. I can't remember what year it was, but that was... I'd actually never heard the piece before going. And um, and I remember playing it for the first time and thought, I don't like this. This is too. This is weird, you know. <laughs> By the end of the week, I could not stop thinking about this piece, and um, and to me that really changed my perception of army banding, like how how people write. And I still think for me that is the ultimate. Brilliant. Now this is our Christmas episode, so yeah. I better get in a question about Christmas. Do you do many Christmas gigs? <laughs> Um, yes, I, I do because um, people think of me as like this kind of big bandy kind of guy, um, which I do love. I know I do other stuff, but I end up doing the whole Buble kind of Christmas Sinatra Christmas thing. So, I mean, thankfully for me, for my you know paying the bills, Christmas is quite a good time for gigs. You know, so I do all the kind of big band things. Santa Claus is coming to town and all that sort of stuff so um, I do do quite a few Christmas gigs but to be honest I try and leave time out because I like playing with the band at Christmas on a Saturday morning and and singing with the songsters at the care homes and so I, I do enjoy it and uh, you know this Christmas I am here in the country quite a bit so I'm, I'm having the chance to play um, and I think possibly next year I'll be away in the Philippines or something like that so I'm making the most of my time doing the army things at Christmas. Excellent. So, what's your favourite Christmas carol? Oh, it's quite easy for me. It's Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. Ooh, which I tune? Just, uh, well, just the is it Forest Forest Green? Green. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, I like all the other tunes, but the, to me, to me, it's the ultimate carol. Um, for the words as well, especially the last verse. I just love the the last verse. So that to me really tells the story of of what Christmas is all about. So, but okay, another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's it? In the bleak midwinter. Ooh, but the other, which the other, one? The other tune. The dark. The dark, Harold dark. dark yeah. Oh, lovely. That is just gorgeous. It's exquisite. Yeah. A bit of a blow in the new book, so isn't it? Oh, I don't. I don't want to play it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just sing it. Just sing it. Just give us a snippet now. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Okay. Good. Good. I'm glad we've got that established. Now we've done some looking back. Let's look into the future. 
have you got any exciting projects or tours coming up that you're allowed to speak about publicly? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I, you know, if you can get to Worcester in May 2023, I have two dates at the Swan Theatre with a, a big band, two big band gigs, which I'm really excited. I'm promoting and producing myself, so it's a, a lot of pressure. But I love the big band thing, and, and, and I'm doing um, two of those gigs myself. Um, but I am going to the Philippines next year. I don't know exactly when, but for a few a few dates, a few gigs, and hoping to release another album over there and um, do some TV work. So that's that's exciting for me. And uh, a couple more trips to America. I'm going back to Guam hopefully next year to do the same gig actually, nice. which is nice. So uh, yeah, it really exciting. Fantastic. I'm really pleased to hear that and Thank I wish you, you the best all Appreciate for those. It. Is that the first time you've sort of put on your whole a whole gig yourself for those Worcester dates? I did one in 2018 and said next year to the crowd that I'll be back yeah. <laughs> and got busy. And you lied. <laughs> <laughs> Which you shouldn't do. No. Uh, and so 20, yeah, 2023, we've, we've left it a few years, but yeah, doing two gigs and then hopefully looking at something at Christmas as well. Oh, another time to the Christmas episode. Another time to the Christmas Lovely episode. stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that leads us really nicely onto the quirky quickfire questions. Ooh. So these, um, well, could be normal, but some of them, <laughs> I hope, are the opposite of normal. Okay. So, first of all, let's start with some fairly standard ones. Who is your favourite Salvation Army composer? Ray Stedman Allen. Nice. Said with authority. You sure? Yep. Excellent. Let's move on. Favourite Salvation Army band piece? The Holy War. Excellent. Nice. I did wonder if it might be when you were talking about it earlier. <laughs> How about a favourite songster piece? I really love a song by Lee Fisher called Amazing God. I think it's just almost perfect. Fantastic. Thank you. So as this is our Christmas episode, I've got some uh, Christmassy questions now for you. Can you talk me through your dream Christmas dinner plate? Okay, my dream Christmas dinner plate would have uh, obviously roast turkey. You've got to go for all that. I love cranberry sauce. So as long as there's cranberry sauce on there, it's got to have roast potatoes. I don't like Brussels sprouts. So anything without Brussels sprouts. Um, to be honest, I like cauliflower cheese as well. That's not really Christmassy. And no Christmas pudding. I can't stand it. No, me neither. No. Although I did ask you about the plate, not what's on the plate. Oh. Um, <laughs> what do you dream plate? I like I like a kind of I don't like a pattern. Okay. Just just one. It's got to be one colour, preferably a white plate. But I don't really like kind of the, the blue plates and all that. I don't really. Oh. I just like it. Just kind of. There we go. Thank you, you very much. So, if you could eradicate one carol from the carol book for history. What would it be? Easy. It would be Little Donkey. Little Donkey, I think. We're yeah, it's got to be. Just from a playing perspective, it's just... Does it's nasty, on, isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, talking about animals, if you could be an animal for 24 hours, what animal would you be? I would love to be a bird, preferably an eagle, something, Ooh. you know, just to experience that flying yeah. thing. Yeah. Fantastic. If you could go on a hike with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? I think Frank Sinatra. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he was the nicest guy, but I, I would just, I love his music so much and the way he sang. I would ask him so many questions on how he did it in his life. I would, I would love that. Yeah. Nice, excellent. Um, do you like tinsel? No, I think it's a bit old-fashioned now. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is the nicest bauble you've ever seen? <laughs> 
Uh, the one I have at home, it's lovely and it says uh, hope. Oh, nice. Yeah. Just have the one bauble. Just the one, yeah. Just the one. Nice. Excellent. Minimalist Christmas. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever dressed up as Father Christmas? Uh, No, but I'm told I might be doing it this year, which is a bit worrying, isn't it? Nice. You've got to be in that zone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the best place you've ever travelled to? Uh, Oh, by me. Who am I going to offend? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I. Las Vegas. What a weird place. I love it. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing. What's the worst place you've ever travelled to? Las Vegas. Right, so, last few of the quirky quickfire questions. I thought, inspired by your surname, we're going to enter the green zone now. Mm. And I've got some questions all themed around green. Okay. So, first of all, what's your favourite colour? Blue. Oh, interesting. Uh, Green by name, but do you have green fingers? Absolutely not. No? I'm awful. And you don't like gardening either? No, I can't stand gardening. Really? really? No, I just it doesn't interest me at all. Fair enough. Uh, any recycling or other eco tips? <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. You heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite type of renewable energy? Wind. Wind. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And finally, what are your thoughts on the Green Party's manifesto? <laughs> well, I read it last night, actually, and I... Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe you for a second? <laughs> you know what? I did, a few years ago, I did read it, and I, and I became a bit of a Green Party. But I won't say who I belong to now. But, uh, but um, no, I, I do I like a lot of the ideas. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Charlie, thank you ever so much for your time and good humour. It's been fantastic to get... I know, I've known you for many years, but actually I've learned a lot about you from this, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, thank you for giving up your time, but also keep doing what you're doing um, here in the Corps and in the wider Salvation Army world. It's fantastic. And I hope that people listening will be inspired by what you've said to go out there and, and do it. So thank you so much. Thank you very time. much. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, And mate. we'll have you on again shortly for Ooh. Band Mastermind. Thanks, Charlie, for letting us have a peek inside your life and also for your good sense of humour. A real pleasure to chat to you, as always. Now it's time to welcome Kevin Larson. Kevin is the Director of Creative Development for the USA Western Territory. To get in the festive feel, Kevin is going to be talking about his exciting work, A Christmas Overture. Kevin Larson, thank you ever so much for joining us on Fully Scored. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have you joining us today to do an analysis of one of your works, A Christmas Overture. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I enjoy, you know, talking about music as well. And when it's something that I've written and that people actually want to hear about, it's kind of humbling as well. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Fantastic. And thank you in advance for your time. So, my first question about a Christmas Overture is, when did you write this and was there a particular event that inspired you penning it? Yes, yeah, so um, a number of years ago um, I started a series of concerts in the Southern California Division uh, called Night of Wonder. And uh, it was just a chance um, to get together, you know, and just doing a traditional carol service. Often I found that... Uh, you know, the things in the States, it's all very, very good, you know, the programming and stuff like that, but there was never just a traditional carol service of people being able to come together and just sing sing some of the great carols and then just go through the Christmas story. So that's where Night of Wonder came from. And the, the exciting thing about Night of Wonder, and I want to say it probably started in 2012, is that it started off in quite a big theatre with about 80% Salvation Army. And by the end of it, it was probably 80% community. 
And the Salvationists actually found it very difficult to get tickets for it. I was always getting calls in the last couple of weeks saying, you know, where are we going to get these tickets? So that was just a, it was a great way of outreach, evangelism, you know, because uh, I always find that Christmas just is a great time that you can really reach out to people. I'm, you know, we're in the Salvation Army. We know that. We're always out and, you know, playing cows and stuff. So that's what the event was, Night of Wonder. Unfortunately, with the kind of the merge of the division that we have, it's no longer um, happening. But uh, from what I understand, that that's going to change very soon, which is good. So yes, so um, that's a very long answer to your very short question, but that's what I wrote it for. That's a great answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mm. So the piece, well, the clues in the title, a Christmas overture is written in an overture form, no surprise. Why did yeah. you decide to write it as an overture? Well, I was always looking, again, just thinking of uh, the concert in mind of Night and Wonder. We always wanted to have that big open up, you know, just to get people excited about the evening. And we went through some great... Uh, um, previously published pieces. Um, we went through a whole, you know, from from the UK as well. Is it the Proclamation of Christmas, I believe, by uh, Stephen Bull? I think that was in there. And uh, um, there's another Christmas overture by Gavin Whitehouse we used to use. And there's another great little number by Jim Kerno, published in the ABJ. But, you know, we try to do something different every year. And, you know, sooner or later I was running out. So I thought, well, why not just put something together myself? And, uh, and, that's, and that's where it came from. And all I did was use the most popular carols. You know, in my mind, the five most popular carols and kind of threw it together. Excellent. So those carols are, and we'll look at them in a bit more detail in the score in a second. We have Joy to the World, O Coming You Faithful, The First Noel, Silent Night and Hark the Herald. Would you say that any of those five carols are in your top five favourite carols? You know, I love, and people will find it strange, but The First Noel. I, I just love that carol. And uh, um, I don't know why so much it's the kind of the same melody just repeated a whole bunch of times i think i used to love singing um those parts the satb parts you know the high f sharp and the tenor part when you're kind of singing that not that i put those parts in this actual arrangement um but uh, that's probably why that uh, was just such a memorable carol for me but all the other ones silent night who cannot love silent night and and heart the herald angels sing when you think about just the words um that's just christmas in one song the theology behind the words of heart the herald angels sing i mean that's probably the only carol you really need it's uh, from start to finish that is really what christmas is all about so that's that's where it's staying from in my mind anyway there's just these uh, the five five of my favorite carols Fantastic. And just before we delve into the score, is there a particular performance or recording in the piece that really stands out and means a lot to you? Um, well, there's we did one uh, live um, at Night of Wonder, which is always exciting um, because it was the first time that uh, um, that was uh, performed. And, you know, we put these things together in about three rehearsals and, uh, you know, that's exciting. That was that was uh, kind of shown on YouTube somewhere. But then it's always very exciting when you hear the staff band recording it as well. And there's a, there's a great recording by the Canadian staff band that I really appreciated. That was one of the first. And, uh, you know, John Lamb, he's uh, he's very supportive of, uh, you know, of my music as well and me, you know, personally. And he's uh, he seems to be very willing to record some of that. So that's a particular recording that uh, I, I really do appreciate that. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Let's look at the score. So we've got a, a no bars hold opening here, um, fortissimo throughout the band. Could you talk us through what you were doing with this introduction, please? <laughs>
again, think about what this was written for. It was a kind of a community event, um, just kind of really um, getting excited about Christmas. So, so many pieces in the Salvation Army have this kind of thing in, you know, like the bells and you know, every Christmas piece. But this was something different for the community, so I thought that was okay to be able to put these in. So when you look at the lower cornets and the horns, um, that's what they've really got. This the ding dum ding dum ding dum ding dum, just the repeated thing. And then yes, you do have this cornet line, but uh, even though it looks very busy and very challenging, once you actually slow it down and work it out, it's really not that challenging. It's kind of wiggling the first for a lot of it and stuff so once you kind of slow it down and then look at that it's not as maybe as kind of horrific to play as you kind of might imagine but it's just a, a very exciting start at least that was the intention um, and uh, you know joy to the world that's the that's the words right from the get-go a little bit like Christmas joy you know the introductions right there based exactly on the on the tune um, so that's why it's just such a loud and boisterous start I would say joy to the world Fantastic. And we have a reiteration of that at A after the music introduces some other themes around bar nine. Are there any other significant little motifs that we should be looking out for here? Yeah, absolutely. Christmas joy. I mean, that has to be uh, the number one march, you know, the number one Christmas arrangement that everybody uses. Um, what a terrific arrangement. And you can see that there's just, you know, that little cornet feature. well-known part there of Christmas joy so that's that's why that's in there and then one of the things that uh, I'm always looking for at bar 9 10 and 11 is we've got this continuation from the flugel horns going into the baritone euphonium and it's supposed to be a continuous line that's just going down and which it is on the music but when I listen to recordings it's sometimes very difficult to get that just the line just a kind of a fluid line jumping from the horns to the baritone. So if I look at this, I would probably think that maybe my scoring wasn't the best right there because it always just sounds like the euphonies and baritones are just coming in on a new little feature right there rather than a continuation of the horn line. But really that's what it was supposed to be, it was this continuation that was going down. Fantastic. So A looks very similar on the score here to the opening. Is there anything different? No, I don't think so. It's just a kind of re recapitulation of the, the the beginning right there. It's uh, It kind of just glues it all together. It keeps on coming back throughout the arrangement, and that's kind of why it's there. Just so It's not just a, a series of five kind of separate pieces that are just stuck together. You know, it's all joined together, and that's the that's the theme that I use to, to con continually do that. Fantastic. So at section B, we have our second carol featured, O Come, O Ye Faithful. Could you talk us through this section and how you've treated the tune in this instance? So it's more of a, you know, I do like my kind of razzmatazz kind of stuff, you know, and I think that's probably just a little nod to that style right there. Um, it's, um, I mean, you can see it right there. You've got the, uh, the trombones with the tune right there, a little counter melody and the flugel and euphonium. Um, sometimes that can be a little bit prominent. Maybe I should have just kind of ducked down the, the dynamic a little bit in that, in that line right there. Um, 
And then it's got a feature that I often like to use, which is kind of roundabout bar 32, when we have these cornets in, in four parts, you know, playing these kind of four note cluster chords going through and doing these whole lines. Um, scoring in a brass band is challenging for that, because if I was doing that in a big band, um, you're gonna have four trumpets all on the front row, Kind of playing it so each one of those notes is, is equally you know significant in that chord but when we do it in the brass band score it just gets a little bit more challenging when you have the solo corner up front soprano then the first and second corner often the first and second corner is just going to be a little bit more in the background but the intention if i could do it my intention would be do a four part on the front row because that's the sound that i'm looking for um but obviously when we've scored for brass bands, we have to do things just a little bit differently. But uh, that's one of the features that I use. And then it goes to a little rhythm that I, I will readily admit that I use way too much, which is da 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 da. Man, I use that all the time. So I need to start changing that. It's, I mean, it's a good, it's a good little uh, um, line. In fact, I did it earlier in the piece, didn't I? Yeah, just before B. The bar before B, I use that same rhythm. It's a good rhythm to use. <laughs> It is a good rhythm. You know what? But people get uh, a little bit confused um, with the triplet as well. You know, the, the crotchet triplet over that one because they are different rhythms, but people tend to play them the same. Um, so anyway, that's just another little side point. Yeah, and then it just continues um, the cornets and trombones with the uh, kind of the big harmony again, nice and loud. And then you've got the, the virtuosic lines going through, starting off with the tubers, um, you know, going all the way up and you know, and then it just continues with that kind of arrangement. It may be just into the, about the last eight bars when it just has this a slight kind of fanfare thing, which is by the, the cornets repeated by the trombones. So the next carol used is a jazz arrangement of the first Noel, which you've already spoken about. Um, how do you transition from the 4-4 uh, into this sort of 3-4 jazz feel? Well, I use that same Westminster bell thing, ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, dong, but it goes into a 3-4 style at that point but that makes it quite an easy transition because if i'm going the same speed um but it just is switching from 4-4 to 3-4 but i'm using the same lines going down but just spread it out over you know the in, in the 3-4 it actually makes for quite an easy transition now interestingly i haven't put a rail in this at all um it just continues going the same speed all the way through most bands will put a rail going into it so when they reach um the first noel um, it's just much more of a kind of uh, relaxed, laid-back version of the first Noel. Um, but originally, I just kept the tempo going all the way through. Um, I'm fine either way. People can do whatever they like. You know, it's fine. You know, as a conductor, you get to choose these things. You, you know, it's the composer can put down the notes, has their ideas, but really, as a conductor and the performance of the group, they can they can kind of uh, put their own stamp on it. So, if people want to slow down on that bit, that's totally fine. Um, but uh, I had never kind of thought of it in that way. Kind of a trombone feature. As a trombone player, I kind of enjoy that. Um, and it's, uh, it's challenging for sure for the flugelhorn. You know, there's always sometimes just little elements that maybe it can only be like sometimes one or two things that makes it just go a little bit beyond 
the possibilities of certain bands and you know maybe this is one of those you know just because it's uh you know to getting that style right getting all those trombone players really just kind of nailing those rhythms and i've tried to be very thorough with the articulations to let people know how to play that but this um this can be quite challenging for some bands just this little section right here especially the flugelhorn and why was it that you chose the flugelhorn for this solo well i love the flugel it's great you know and uh Sometimes you have people in mind as well, and um, you know, have a good friend out here, John Doctor, and uh, he is a brilliant jazzer, you know. And it's just when he plays something, it just uh, it adds a whole new dimension to it. And uh, I knew that uh, it was likely that he was going to be playing this as well. And you know, I just love uh, love jazz. It's not something that I grew up in or anything like that. It's just something that came in kind of later in life. But I, I do just love those chords and. And that's why, you know, the flugelhorn's a great instrument, especially when you do trombones. I think it just, uh, you know, the flugel with the, the trombones, I think it's just a great sound. Fantastic. So at section yeah. D, moving through, we have another uh, moment of transition. And uh, the music goes into a quite an unusual time signature for brass bands, perhaps, 6-4. Can you talk us through this yeah. transitional period here? Yeah, and this is another transition that, um, even though I wrote the thing, I sometimes struggle myself with it, just because sometimes I feel at D we should go straight at that point, and sometimes we can keep swinging. It's not much at that point. All it is is just the tune, really, that will kind of uh, dictate whether it's um, swung or just played straight. But both work. Um, I tend to go straight at D, even though I haven't written that. Um, but it's one of those things that I'm always kind of back and forth on. So people can do whatever they like, really. At that point, I won't be too worried about it. But it's just it's an interesting thing as a as a conductor of this piece, just to try and figure that out. And then, of course, the transition. I'm using that whole bell thing again, dee dum dee dum dee dum, as it goes through with the uh, the cornets and horns. Um, going through that, <coughs> excuse me, it just slows down obviously a little bit. And there's a little reference to uh, the US version of uh, Away in a Manger at that point as well. Um, that's just in the, the baritones and the euphoniums, a little bit of glock work right there as well, just playing that, uh, that lovely tune known, I think in England as the manger scene. And then it goes into 6-4. Um, yeah, it's, I find, I, um, I could have done this in 6-8, of course, you know, um, it, a 3-4 wouldn't have worked for me, um, just because the way the tune goes, but I could have done it in 6-8, but I do find, um, when we've got lots of moving lines like we have here, if I write it in 6-8 and people start seeing semi-quavers, people freak out a little bit and they get a little bit um, scared. I did a piece of music called um, Peace, it's in the Judge Street. And in it, I'm using the uh, the tune, The Infant King. And I originally wrote that in 6-8, which is what is um, published in. And I tried it in the core band that I was uh, the bandmaster at the time of Torrance, which is, you know, at the time they were probably, you know, I don't know, Triumph series, you know, Easy General series, that kind of standard. And I, I wanted to try it out and they didn't even get close. There was this 6-8 uh, version of The Infant King. Um, and I was really concerned because I thought it was going to work all right. I changed it to 3-4 and uh, kind of split the bars, gave it in the next week, straight through, not a problem. And uh, with that in mind, I thought, well, if I do 6-4, even though it looks a bit unusual, 
the notes aren't they don't seem as scary with all the semi quavers it's just quavers and uh, and sure enough um, people you know can, can play this quite easy fantastic and I love this treatment of Silent Night uh, with a tune obviously it's quite important but these ethereal little lines passed as you said between the soprano cornet and other instruments in the band where, where did that motif come from yeah I don't know it just um I think I was just kind of noodling on the piano probably and it just kind of came to me I I like um maybe it's kind of from some of the chords I put towards the kind of the, the latter end of it I I do love um just as I am by Wilfred Heaton and some of the chords that he puts at the end and that's very similar to some of the chords that I use here and and it just maybe that's kind of where the, the kind of the lines came from but I think it's probably just from a case of just noodling away at the piano and having some fun and, and playing it I thought you know that's that sounds pretty pretty nice and that's where it came from I don't think there's any there's any influences necessarily from another piece of music or anything like that great so at section E, once again, we hark back to the opening uh, introduction as we have this next transition into Hark the Herald Angel Sings. Do you want to talk us through this next section, please? Yeah, very clever use of the word hark back to this section. Very good. Yeah, so it does, um, yeah, it's the same thing. But for the first few bars, one of the, the biggest challenges for me as a conductor of this piece is just towards the end it changes. This is just before F, two bars before F. Um, and it references the opening to Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Um, and it's getting the cornets to be able to sit uh, and, um, and actually play the rhythmic, um, the, the bar before F in time. It's very, very challenging because you have them doing this whole diddly and diddly and diddly and diddly and diddly and and they're, you know, they're used to that, they're just going for it. But then we have to transition with a multo rail two before F, kind of slowing that down together as the band is referencing Heart the Herald Angels Sing, and then it goes especially to the bar before F. I would imagine, as it has for me, that is a challenging part for the uh, the bandmasters to be able to put together. Um, just be able to make sure that we're all on the same page at that point. And then, of course, into Heart the Herald Angels Sing, what a great carol that is. Um, the tune being played in the back row cornets, they always enjoy that. Um, and then we have this nice uh, line in the middle, which um, is just this... Uh, kind of scale passage it just starts right at the top and it goes all the way down you know right to the uh, to the low bases at the end and then it just continues going up so it's kind of a two octave line that just keeps them going all the way up and it's uh, and then it uh, goes to more like the fanfare um, sound with the, the cornets and trombones quite high register um, and then just towards the end of that it's just it once again back to what would you consider more a traditional arrangement of Heart the Herald Angels Sing.
then G, once again, the piece is all tied together like a good shoelace um, with our introduction once again weaving through. Could you talk us through this outro to the music and the, the finale? Yeah, so as you say, it's the uh, it's the little theme that ties everything together once again um, with the, the uh, you know the fluid cornet parts and, and the bells, and then just towards the end um, we've got this uh, you know if you are, if I was playing a scale on the piano with my pedal down, this is the sound that you'd have. Just going the F scale, dee 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 dee. It's like if you're doing it with the bells, they're going to keep ringing on. Um, so that's what I've done there. You can see that in the corn, it's in the horns. Um, so it's just this big uh, kind of mesh of sound that's just uh, going through. Um, but in this situation, that worked really well. And then it's just uh, a reference to the first Noel. Why the first Noel? I'm not not entirely sure, but it just seemed to work. At that point, we've used it, we're just referencing it. Maybe once again, it's just kind of one of my favorite carols uh, right there, but just from the lower end of the band, just this big sound. Um, and then another reference right here, um, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. And then even though it looks quite challenging, and I guess it is in many respects, you know, this, this last run by the horns and the euphonium, um, by that point, there is a big multi rail. So it's not the, the quickest thing in the world. Um, so, uh, you know, most players should be able to, you know, once they've worked on it, it's, it's generally in a nice, easy, easy scale. Might be a little bit high there for the euphoniums, but it's just a nice kind of ending, big dramatic ending right there with the, uh, with the lower end of the band really just emphasizing that on the last beat. But that's, that's where that came from. Yeah, it's nothing like, uh, you know, kind of a meditation or some of the big, you know, like the Holy War, that every bar in there is telling the story, you know, of something. This is just uh, kind of the idea of it. It's just uh, a selection of five well-known carols that are hopefully arranged in a nice nice way that people enjoy. And, and that's, I guess, what the nature of an overture is. It's just getting people excited about the carol service that is the carol. little parcel of Christmas razzmatazz. Excellent. Thank you ever so much, Kevin, for your time and speaking through that, and thank you for your music as well, and I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Well, thank you very much, and you. God bless. Thank you, Kevin, for your time preparing that and recording with us. Fascinating insight into an excellent piece. Now it's time to set a course to Arid Island Album. I'm delighted to be joined by not one not even two guests, but five guests for this episode, all of whom are members of the solo cornet section of Birmingham Citadel YP Band. So I'm delighted to be joined by the solo cornet section of Birmingham Citadel YP Band today for our Arid Island album. Thank you for all agreeing to do this. 
You all all right? Yes, yes, thank you. Fantastic. And I haven't forced you to do this against your will, hopefully, too much. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it would be really nice to hear some younger voices uh, for your Arid Island uh, choices. So first of all, how are you finding the Arid Island? It's toasty here, isn't it? Yeah, very warm. Oh. Very warm. Getting <laughs> a good tan, though. Getting a good tan. Boiling. Yeah. And uh, you haven't resorted to eating the seagulls yet, have you? No, <laughs> no, not, no, yet. no. Not, yet. not yet. Fantastic. Right, so a few questions just to get to know you a little bit before we uh, have your Arid Island choices. Um, first question, and in fact I'll ask two at once. Have you got a highlight from your time in the YP band? And secondly, a favourite piece that you've played in your time in the YP band? Should we go Josie first? Yeah, well, um, I've been in the YP band a very long time <laughs> and I've had quite a few great memories but uh, one that really stands out is when we got to play it together 22 a couple of months back I think that was a great experience for all of us to all get to play in front of so many different salvationists from across the country yeah and my favorite piece that we've played is probably Blythe Heritage a classic a favorite for us all I reckon so yeah fantastic <laughs> thank you Josie Jonathan how about yourself um, so I've been in the wipey band um, a few years now as well um, I think probably one of my favourite moments was when we had the, the opportunity to um, record a CD um, a few years ago. I think that was um, really kind of a good experience for everyone and also it just let us kind of um, put our message out in a different kind of way than what we've been doing beforehand. Fantastic. And have you got a favourite piece? Oh yeah, uh, my favourite piece. Further. This is um, Leslie Condon's Blythe Heritage again. Fantastic. A popular choice. Jamie, is that going to be your favourite as well, or have you got something a bit different? Well, I was, it was between Blythe Heritage and Hannah Variations as my favourite, because we've been playing them a long time. And I think my favourite moments are probably all the weekends away. We've had the opportunity to go to other core to share our message with them as well. Fantastic. Ollie, or Oliver, I'll call you by your full name. <laughs> How about you? I um, can't remember how long I've been in the YP band, but one of my favourite moments, obviously was Together 2022, but was going away on my first weekend, which was Felix Stowe. And I th can't remember if we played this piece, but one of my favourite pieces is Hanover Variations. Fantastic. And uh, how about yourself, Ellen? Uh, well, yeah, obviously the weekends away have been very fun throughout the years. You know, I've been able to do a few before COVID and everything. And um, one memory that sticks out is playing rounders in the car park of Sail Army. And I remember that, that was just a really nice time because we were with everyone like from all the ages. And it was a really nice time to like interact with others who we, no we wouldn't normally speak to as being one of the younger ones there. Excellent stuff. And uh, didn't manage to smash any car windows. <laughs> good. Always good. OK. And what about a piece? Have you got a favourite piece then? Um, it would probably be the March South Down. I remember playing it in one of my first rehearsals. So whenever we play it, it sort of feels like a full circle moment of like, this is where I started and this is where I've come to now. So, Brilliant. Yeah. What a classic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ellen. So now this brings us on to our all-important question. If you were stuck on an arid and deserted island and could take one album with you, what would it be and perhaps why? Josie, you're in the firing line first of all. Mine would be Fantasy by Phil Cobb, um, especially the Whirlwind track because I've played it with um, the YP band when we've gone away various times and for auditions and I actually got the CD signed for my when I did my grade five exam and dad got it for me so it's has centre place in my room um, on my shelf with other music bits so it's a it's a good track 
Excellent. Jonathan, what's your album choice? Um, so my album choice is um, Essays for Brass, um, the first volume. Um, it, it, it really kind of... Has, it has lots of, obviously, Salvation Army pieces, if you know the CD. Um, and it's just got... It's got lots of everything, I think. It's got mainly the kind of the bigger kind of festival series kind of stuff that you kind of think of. It's got also those um, more reflective pieces, like Light of the World. And it just, it's got a really nice balance between kind of, it just gives us a nice message that the Salvation Army kind of brings through their music. Excellent. And have you got a favourite track from it? Um, uh, not some of them are quite good. I do like the opening track, Call of the Righteous. Um, but um, on Ratcliffe Highway is on there as well. And that's one of the, when, my first year I did uh, TYB um, in 2020 and we played that piece and that's kind of stayed with me, even through that track. Fantastic. Thank you for those memories. Jamie, how about you for your album choice? Well, I've stuck within the army as well and I'm going for just uh, The Adventurers by the ISB because I have very fond memories. Like It's been out for a few years so I've had a long time to listen to it and there's lots of standout tracks like The Adventurers and Everlasting Hope which I think are quite powerful to listen to. Fantastic. So one of your favourite pieces was Hanover Variations and mm. The Adventurers. So are you crazy for Cordner? Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. Excellent stuff. Ollie, what's your choice? Um, my favourite album is probably Celebrate the Season from the ISB because I just really enjoyed the playing on there, especially Oh Holy Night with Philip Cobb. Fantastic. And uh, perfectly timed for this going out as our <laughs> December Christmas episode. So would you say that's your favourite track, Oh yes. Holy Night? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Ellen, what would your Arid Island album choice be? Um, it'd probably be the Birmingham Citadel Band album called Everlasting Hope because it was the first one I can remember listening to my grandparents' front room when I was about seven. I used to dance around to it. And then this summer I was able to play one of the pieces, Sky Dance, off it, and it sort of like brought back all those memories. So, yeah. Fantastic. And have you got a favourite track? Would it be Sky Probably, Dance? yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for joining. It's been really fantastic to hear from you all. And uh, thank you for what you do every single Friday and Sunday with the YP Band as well. It's great. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Josie, Jonathan, Jamie, Oliver and Ellen for your time and album choices. Some real crackers there. Now, if you haven't already picked it up, Charlie Green is a bit of a band nerd. So how will he fare in the band mastermind hot seat. Well, it's time to find out. So, for listeners that may not be aware, in band mastermind you'll have one minute and 30 seconds to answer as many band trivia questions as you can. Uh, if you don't get it right, shame on you, and we will go back to the answer at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie Green, are you ready to play band mastermind? Yes. Then your time starts now. What hymn tune provides the overarching thematic material in Stephen Ponsford's Music of a Legacy? Lord of the Years. I'm going to give you that. Correct. Who wrote the General Series March? MSB 100. <sighs> really? Um, no idea. Noel Jones. Correct. Which eminent British composer attended an international staff band concert in Dorking, Surrey, UK, and subsequently decided to write a composition in tribute to Salvation Army music? 
Ralph Vaughan Williams. Correct. Andrew Wainwright has recently written a new work for the international staff band called Horizons, The Promise of the Lord. What Welsh tune is featured throughout? Oh, no idea. Um, Blang Wayne. N- incorrect, I'm afraid. Boundless Spirit was written for Boundless 2015 International Congress, encapsulating the spirit and musical musical spirit of the army world coming together. But who was it written by? Uh, Martin Cordner. Correct. What nationality is composer Brenton Broadstock? Uh, Australian. Correct. Who preceded Dr Stephen Cobb as bandmaster of the International Staff Band? Uh, um, Robert Redhead. Correct. What year was Eric Ball's Song of Courage published? <laughs> Published uh, uh, 1962. You are so close. How many marches has Rayog had published? Uh, one. Correct. Complete the name of the flugelhorn solo published in 2000 by Brian Hogg. Noah and the... Whale? Incorrect, I'm afraid. <laughs> Who is currently principal corner of the Canadian staff band? The time has run out, but I'll let you answer this. Uh, con- current principal corner. Um, oh, uh, it's uh, Marcus Venables. Correct. So, Charlie, that gives you a score of eight. Yeah. Which puts you in the second place, joint with Howard Evans. That's a phenomenal score. That, that to me, is like one of the biggest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah? Coming, yeah, getting eight. It's all downhill from here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. I did so bad in my school study, so to, hey, to actually do well, I'm happy. You really are a bad nerd. I am. Shall I just go through the answers for the couple that you didn't get uh, for listeners at home? So, Andrew Wainwright's new piece for the RSB called Horizons, The Promise of the Lord, features the Welsh tune Cumronda oh, throughout. Okay. And you're one year out. Uh, Eric Ball's Song of Courage was published in 1961. Mm. Literally one year out. Uh, and the flugelhorn solo by Brian Hogg is named Noah and the Fox. Oh. Yeah, not one that I know, but the there fox. we go. Yeah, and the okay. fox. So, have you played that one more? No, I haven't actually. Oh, okay. No, I just found it on the music index yesterday. <laughs> so uh, there we go. Well done, Charlie. Thank that is phenomenal. I know that sounds really patronising, but uh, a great score there of eight on Band Mastermind. Thank you so much again for your time and your willingness to be part of this Thank podcast. You. Thank you for having me. Bravo indeed, Charlie. Andrew Blythe might have just felt his crown having a little bit of a wobble there. For a moment. Thank you to all of our listeners who took part in last month's Band Mastermind at Home. Congratulations to both Samuel Ikong and Seth Iker from Nigeria Territory, who both got a whopping 9 out of 10 correct. And also an honourable mention to Darren Waterworth, who got an excellent score of 7. Here are all the answers. I asked you, in what year was the Japanese staff band formed? The answer, 1902. How many pieces begin with the letter Z in the Triumph series? The answer's four. And for the bonus points, you could have answered Zealous and True by Alex Gray, Zurich Central by Brian Bowen, Zimbabwe Centenary by Norman Bearcroft, and also Zambia 2000 by Norman Bearcroft. What was the name of the 1990 Canadian Staff Band studio album? It was Sounds of Joy. The piece that was voted number one in the Salvation Army Music Index Hall of Fame in 2019 and 2022 respectively was The Light of the World. It was Maisie Wiggins who Eric Lyston's Concerto for Trombone was dedicated to. Ray Stemman Allen set the lyrics to God of All Wonders by music by the Czech composer Zdenk Fibic. The third movement of Eric Ball's Songs of the Morning is entitled Song of Faith. 
and it was Peter Cook who wrote Eric Ball, The Man and His Music. The final question was which cornet solo was written for William Scarlett, a former member of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Chicago Staff Band. The solo I was looking for was I'd Rather Have Jesus. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode. If you want to stay up to date with all the latest fully scored razzmatazz, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not subscribe to the podcast and you could even leave us a review. Before we depart, a few thanks. Thank you to all of our guests for your time and willingness to be involved in this podcast adventure. Thank you to Charlie, Kevin, Josie, Jonathan, Jamie, Oliver and Ellen. Thank you to our terrific producer Simon Gash for doing the digital welding and joinery as required. Thank you to Wobplay for hosting our podcast and the associated playlist beside it too. Thank you to the passing squeak of an unoiled hinge, that is the band nerds, for your assistance with the band mastermind trivia. And thank you to you, our listener, for lending us your ears. You can have them back now. I hope you all have a wonderful and blessed Christmas and we'll see you again safe in the new year. Goodbye and God bless. (laughs) 